So good to have you with us this morning. Uh, let's um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your very presence among us this morning. We thank you for your love and mercy. Even when we, Lord God, are not merciful, you are. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. We thank you, Lord, for the compassions that you show us each and every day. And great indeed is your faithfulness. When we deal, Lord God, with the struggles of our lives, though at times we may feel that we are alone in them, we never really are alone. You are ever with us. And sometimes, Lord, the greatest struggle we have is the one we have with you. But as Jacob learned and as we will learn, we only prevail when we surrender. So may we do so today. May we surrender our hearts before you even now so that what we learn from our study today will encourage us to grow more into the godly character and spiritual influence that you want us to be in Christ. And before we begin, Lord, we ask that you would bless uh, Sam Ingram's mom, who's in hospital today and has been for the last couple of days. And Lord, we, we just ask you to continue to bless her and heal her, strengthen the family through this time of concern, And we ask, Lord God, that you will do a great work in them and in her. And now, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us your wisdom and grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. I've entitled this message, From Wrestling to Resting. And what we're going to learn about Jacob today is that here was a guy that all his life, even before coming out of his mother's womb, he was a wrestler. I don't mean the WWE type. Because I kind of find it hard to look at Jacob in those kind of tights that they wear, you know, when they wrestle. It kind of gives you a weird picture, you know. But he was a wrestler. When he's in Rebecca's womb, he's holding on to his brother Esau's ankle. When Esau's being born. And you think he wants to put a figure four leg lock on him or something. And then they come out and they wrestle all the more as brothers. But then he wrestles with his father Isaac. And there's another characteristic about wrestling, you know, when, when we see that particular picture because a lot of wrestlers like to wear masks, you know, especially in Mexico. Mil mascaras and El Santo. Am I dating myself? I think I am. They're, God, those are old guys. But anyway. But you know, they would wear a mask because they were hiding their identity. But so did Jacob when he went to his father because he was wearing Esau's clothes so he could fake his father out. And then when he was in Haran, he wrestled with Laban, his uncle, and later becoming his father-in-law, and he wrestled with him. 
probably run a round or two with Rachel too, for that matter. But had he ever come to his rest? Had he come yet to the rest that God wanted him to have? Because there were a lot of struggles. A lot of struggles in in Jacob's life. But along the way, God had met him. God had changed his life. But in the course of changing his life, there were still some things that he was hanging on to. Some things that uh, later on the Lord would say, you know, you need to give me those things, Jacob. We see some of that today. Jacob is on his way home, but he has one thing on his heart and on his mind, and that is he's going to have to meet with his brother Esau, who he was running away from to begin with, and he spent 20 years away from him, but uh, Esau may never have really softened his disgust and his hatred of Jacob. So Jacob was afraid of Esau. And even when God had given Jacob another camp, he had given them a camp of angels to be with him, he still splits up his own camp into two because of his fear of Esau. If Esau gets one camp, at least he'll still have maybe one camp left. And all of this is going on when we meet with Jacob again in verse 13. And it says, So he lodged there that same night, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colds, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten foals. And then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. A drove would just be a flock, a particular flock, for example, the flocks of the goats and the flocks of the sheep and so on. And and he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass over before me and, and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong? And... Where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Because the messenger was supposed to be behind the flock. Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he's telling his messenger, Tell him, This is a gift from your servant Jacob. To my Lord Esau, and, I, and I'm coming after this. Jacob says, tell him I'm, I'll, I'll be on my way. I'll be coming to meet him. So he commanded the second, the third, and, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. He's coming. He's behind all these droves. For he said, I will appease him with a present that goes before me, and, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So here he says to his, his servants, Tell him I'm coming, and then he doesn't come. He stays behind, he stays in the camp. And it makes us wonder, has Jacob learned anything at all of God's presence and of God's purposes? George Mueller, first of all, let me ask this question. How many of you know who George Mueller is? If you you do know, raise your hand, please. I want to see. Many have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller, anybody? Raise your hand. I want to see. Come on. Don't be afraid. All right. Thank you. (laughs) There's not enough hands going up. We all need to learn about this man, George Mueller. Make a Google search. And there's a couple of websites when you early on when you do that, that will lead you to a little biography of this man. 
He was a 19th century English evangelist. He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. And he founded a number of, of orphanages in Bristol, England. Now, he's known for that, but that's not the most important thing that he's known for. George Mueller was known as a man of tremendous faith and of a tremendous prayer life. And he prayed every day for the provision for his orphanages. He didn't have money coming in every day. He had to live by faith for all the children that he took care of. Live by faith. Every day pray, Lord, today we need this. And on that day, God would supply. I remember reading a story about George Mueller one day when, when, when uh, they had run out of milk and they had no milk for the next morning. And George Mueller prayed, Lord, in your great way provide the milk that we need for these children because they need to have their breakfast in the morning and all, and we have no milk. So early the next morning, there was a milk truck that was passing by the orphanage, not stopping at the orphanage, but passing by the orphanage when the milk truck's wheel came off, and it came off right in front of the orphanage. And now this milkman says, you know, I'm going to, all of this milk is going to, you know, be wasted and, and it's going to go bad because they didn't have the cooling kind of uh, uh, refrigerators and all that, uh, that we have nowadays to transport all of this stuff. So he walked over to the orphanage and he knocked on the door and he asked George Mueller, he said, uh, Mr. Mueller, do you, would you be able to use this milk because I, it's just going to go to waste if I just leave it here? And he just said, thank you, Lord prayed for it, and he received it. What a tremendous life and a a tremendous prayer life that George Mueller had. And I I would urge you to to read about his his biography, read his biography, and and, and be encouraged by his life. But uh, one day he was asked this question. The question was, what, what is the most important part of prayer? What is the most important part of prayer... And George Mueller answered, he said, the 15 minutes after I have said, Amen. That is the most important part of prayer, the 15 minutes after I have said, Amen. You know, we ended our last study in the life of Jacob with a, with a great prayer of faith that Jacob lifted up to the Lord in verses 9 through 12. I want to bring those verses back to your remembrance there it says then Jacob said O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac the Lord who said to me return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies deliver me I pray from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And I kept mentioning last week how, uh, how great a prayer this was, this was, every part of it. Oh, this is a, a wonderful part of a prayer. And, and I said, this, this is great. This is a great prayer. Over and over and over. And I kept saying that. Because he remembered God's promises and he prayed God's word. He, he, he spoke God's word. He prayed God's word. He, he recognized his unworthiness. And not only that, but he also admitted his fear. You know, that's a great part of prayer too, when we admit the fears that we have to the Lord. But not only that, but he realized God's many blessings that God had provided for him and was providing for him. But now, 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 it doesn't matter how great Jacob's prayer was. His faith will be seen in what he does 15 minutes after his prayer. What matters is his faith after he prays. As it is with us. Because this is certainly a a truth about prayer that we need to be made aware of today. You know, it is an amazing thing that God, in God's Word, we have His thoughts. 
In God's Word, we have His thoughts given to us that we might know them, that we might trust them, that we might act upon them. He's given us His thoughts so that we might know what He is thinking of us. And I can assure you that His thoughts toward us are wonderful. Not because we're wonderful, but because He's wonderful. Because He's gracious, because He's merciful. Because He knows what we are, because He knows what we're made of. Because He knows that we are just dust. And He has wonderful thoughts toward us. And it would be a blessed advantage to, to know God's thoughts. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't it be great to know God's thoughts? And we have His thoughts every day. If we're in God's Word every day, not only to know God's thoughts, but to think God's thoughts. To think God's thoughts. David in Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Is God's word our delight this morning? Is His Word our delight? Is His Word something that we love, that we want to dwell in, that we want to be in every day of our lives? You see, A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, to think God's thoughts requires much prayer. To think God's thoughts requires much prayer. If you do not pray much, you are not thinking God's thoughts. If you do not read your Bible much and often and reverently, you are not thinking God's thoughts. Now this comes from a, 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 a collection of, of writings and sermons of, of A.W. Tozer that were put into a book called Rut Rotter Revival. It's a, it's a message to the church. So after that particular statement, he, he went on just to give some practical suggestions. But then he makes this comment, and I, and I want you to hear it very carefully and listen care, carefully to it. He said, we ought to live in our Bibles. We ought to live in our Bibles and learn to love it. We ought to live in our Bibles and learn to love it. Now, here's a good day for examination. Without the show of hands or without the show of anything, listen. Do we love God's Word and do we live in it? Are we living in God's Word and are we loving God's Word? Are we loving the things that He is saying to us? Listen, Jacob had God's promises. Jacob had God's Word. His spoken word to Jacob. He had God's promises. He had God's word. He had God's presence. He had God's protection. He had God's provision. He had God's prosperity. But did he live in those truths? And did he love them? I believe that he he probably did. I, I don't think you notice a lot of confidence in my statement. But then again, I think about our own lives. I think we do. But sometimes, do we reflect it? I think that we can look at the life of, I, uh, of Jacob, as we've, we've oftentimes said that, you know, he was so human, we, we, we can see ourselves in him and a lot of things that he did, a lot of things we do. Even in loving the Lord. I believe he was wanting to live and, and trust in, the, in, in all the things that God had given him, but we're going to find something in our text today, and that is this. That there is still some of Yaakov in Yaakov. Now remember that the name Yaakov, or Jacob, means supplanter, it means conniver, it means deceiver, it means thief. So all you Jacobs out there, just know a little bit about your name. And there was still a little bit of something of Jacob in Jacob. Just as there is a little bit of our old self in us still. Because every day God's still dealing with us, isn't He? Every day there are certain things that we're discovering 
are still here, even though we thought we gave them everything at the very beginning. Now, there are some things that we still hold on to because we haven't let go of them back then. Because we, 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 we try to hide certain things in certain closets of our lives. And, and, and so we still have some of those things. But, but, but sincerely, when we came to the Lord and gave our lives to Him, and, and we sensed the cleansing of, of the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives, and, and making us a new creature in Christ, the oldest passed away, all the things have become new. You know, we, we've surrendered those things, but we're still human. We still make mistakes. We look in the mirror and we think, eh, that's not a very perfect person yet. But if we believe what Paul says that of his own life, he says, I am not yet achieved perfection, but this one thing I do, I keep pressing on. And Paul was one who loved the Lord and loved his word and lived in his word and loved his word tremendously. So every day there are meetings with the Lord. Every day there are little struggles. Just with Jacob, we see them really out in the open here because he's still being worked on by the Lord. We find here in verses 13 through 23 that Jacob was unable to leave matters in the Lord's hands. And so he made this attempt at conciliation. Now what is conciliation? Well, conciliation simply is appeasement or reconciliation. He made an attempt of reconciliation. In other words, Jacob attempted in his own wisdom and power to resolve and to pacify major problems with his brother Esau through a conciliatory gift. Let's go back to verse 13. We'll do this as quickly as we can. In verse 13 it says, So he lodged there that same night, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. He, he's, he's preparing a gift to give to his brother Esau, not only a gift that is very large, but a gift that keeps on giving. Because, it, because they can still reproduce and he can have more. This is all a part of Jacob wanting to reconcile his differences with his brother Esau, well, this gives us some idea of uh, this passage here uh, of of Jacob's wealth and an insight into uh, his view of his impressive treasure. And we do get this view by by seeing that he classifies such a magnificent accumulation of wealth as a mere present. He just said, well, this is just a present, it's just a gift. See, he's not giving him all, but he's giving him a great, great gift because Jacob was very wealthy. Now, he was taking a lot back to uh, Beersheba or wherever he's going to end up uh, with him. So, being extremely cautious, Jacob separated the various classes of animals into five droves or flocks. And he sent them off to Esau with a decent distance between each. So we see here in verses 16 through 21, then he delivered them to the hands of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me, and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong, and where are you going, whose are these in front of you? He says, he's going to ask you these questions. This is what you're going to tell him. You shall say, they are your servant Jacob. So you, you, can, you can begin to see a little scheming going on here. Even though I'm, I believe he's sincere, I said this last week, I believe he's sincere when he uses the term servant. He's bowing down to his brother because he really wants to make peace. And he says, I'll be your servant and, and present these things to my Lord Esau. So we want to exalt him a little bit, make him feel like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just humble before him. And behold, he's also behind us. Now that last phrase there, behold, he's also behind us, is to say, Jacob is coming momentarily. He's coming after all these gifts are going to be presented to you. So then we see he commanded the second and the third and all who followed the droves. So the second, third, the fourth, and the fifth, because there were five droves. And, and he said, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. So each one, each messenger that was following one of the droves was to give him these messages. And, and also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. So he, Jacob is coming, but he just wants you to have this gift first. And, 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 and then Jacob says, now we don't know if he says this directly to uh, his servants to tell Esau, or this is just something that Jacob says, but he says, I will appease him 
with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. He might have said that, but if he did say it to tell them to say it to Esau, then we know it's a scheme. Because it's just kind of to soften Esau and to say, listen, I, I, I'll see if it, perhaps you, you make the decision whether you'll accept me. And so the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So he says, tell him I'm coming, then he doesn't go. He says, I'm just going to lodge here, I ain't going anywhere. So you sense that there may be some fear still and all, or it could be that God is still in control, which he is. But Jacob is proving a wily individual, and I guess we've got to love him if he's a wily individual, because simply he's so much like us. Sometimes we become wily, and we become manipulative, or we become scheming because we really try to, we're trying to help God out here, right? I mean, Jacob had a lot of, 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 of help from his, from his father and his, his grandfather and his grandmother, Sarah. You know, remember that they, they try to help God out here. Listen, we're not, we're, I'm too old to have kids, so I, I guess what God wants me to do is give you my maidservant, right? And so they're trying to help God out. So you see, he took goats and he took sheep and he took camel and camels and cattle and donkeys and he sent with each drove a gift for Esau. Now, in that culture and in that desert country, goats were the least valued of the animals. They were valued, but they were the least valued. So think about this. Here comes the first gift. And Esau looks at it and says, oh man, goats? Who are you? Where are you from? And, and, and who, who are these goats? Because you look at the goats and say, well, that's, that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the cheap, cheap gift, you know. But then he sees the sheep. A little bit later, there's a little space, but then he looks and he sees some more coming. And then he looks and he, and he sees sheep and he says, well, you know, the sheep are more valued than the goats. So, well, I'm not so upset now, but still, sheep... Then he looks again, there's a little space of time, but then he looks and he sees another gift coming. He sees another drove coming, and in that drove are camels, and he says, now camels are much more valuable than the sheep and the goats. So this gift is getting a little better here. And then the camels come, and then there's a little space of time, and then all of a sudden he sees the cattle, and the cattle, the livestock are, are really a, a, greater, a, a greater value and, and of use to, uh, to Esau. And he says, well, this gift is really getting good now. But then the donkeys come. And they were extremely useful in the desert uh, countries and, and, and culture and all. So he is like, he's got, it just got a better and better, better uh, and better as, as the gifts were coming. So his gifts, Jacob's gifts were calculated, if you will. They were calculated to reach his brother Esau like, a, like the increasing bids of an auctioneer. This is just getting better. He's just softening his brother Esau. Don't forget that Esau has 400 men with him. And he knows what Esau wants to use those men for. Now going back to verse 3 of this chapter, when Jacob first sends messengers to Esau, those messengers had no presence whatsoever. And with the knowledge that Esau was coming to him with 400 men, it made the appeasement attempt all the more critical to perform. So scheming seemed to linger in Jacob's bag of tricks. Scheming. Thought we had gotten rid of all of the stuff in my life, you know. Thought I'd gotten rid of all of that. There's still a little bit of something else here. A little scheming. To help God out. A little bag of tricks with scheming in it. A bag that should have been surrendered already to the Lord. And, and, and it makes us think. Sometimes we've held on to things just for ourselves. But we should have surrendered it to the Lord a long time ago. Are you holding on to some of those things today? Are you still holding on to some, certain things? Unforgiveness. 
using it, you know, for others that you don't really care. You know that you have to love them, but you don't really want to. So somehow you're going to try to justify an unforgiveness, even when we know that the Bible says that we need to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Or some other thing that we, we're using to try to advance our position or advance our way without really trusting what God is trying to tell us. Something we should have already surrendered to the Lord. We come to the Lord and we give our lives and we, we're thankful He cleanses us with the blood of Christ. And we are clean. But every day we have to face the trials and the challenges of this life. And every day we discover there's something in our flesh that we need to kind of surrender to the Lord. Every day, every day. Whether you've been a Christian 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, or 10 years, or long after that, there's still things. We haven't yet achieved that perfection, as Paul himself had said. But he did say one thing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit, they belong to the Lord now. You don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price. You belong to Him. That means everything that you have in your life, even the bag of tricks that you're still holding on to, or that little closet that has certain, certain uh, pet uh, things that you love in your life, but you want to have it just for yourself, that should be surrendered to the Lord. It isn't surrendered yet. It needs to be surrendered today. Because you were bought with a price. What was that price? Well, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.17, if, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In other words, the fear of the Lord. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without, without blemish. And without spot, you were redeemed by the blood of Christ. So we need to let the blood of Christ work in our lives. And in all these areas that we ourselves are struggling with. In verse 20 of our text, going back to verse 20 for just a moment, we have the first occurrence or use of the word appease in the Scriptures. First time it's ever used. In the Hebrew... It is translated as atonement. It is translated as atonement. And the root meaning is to cover. An atonement was something to cover. The blood of the sacrifices of bulls and goats in the tabernacle and as well later on in the temple was used as an atonement. Just recently, very recently, we just had the... The, the Jewish people uh, celebrated the Day of Atonement. Rosh Hashanah was, of course, the, the, the Jewish New Year, and then uh, not long after that, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. Kippur. There is the word atonement. This is the root word for appease. It means to cover. And, and uh, so Jacob sent these presents... And it literally says in our text in the Hebrew to cover the face of Esau so that he would no longer see the offense of Jacob. I will appease, I will, I will atone, I will cover the face of Esau with this gift. I will cover. I will appease him. Does that sound like he's trusting the Lord? Does it, does it sound like there's, there's something that God wants to do here, but he's doing it, in, it on his own, with his own gift? Do you see that now? More and more, Jacob was behaving as if the angels hadn't come with him. As if he didn't have another camp of angels around with him. He's acting as if the promises of God were worthless. He's acting as if he never prayed. He's acting as though every promise that God made is just empty. Do we not do that sometimes? You see, almost every line of this account presents for us the same lesson from different angles. The same lesson, the same lesson from different angles and different perspectives. But it is this lesson. The Lord is burning into our souls that proneness to wander. 
burning into our souls that proneness to wander just so that we might cast off all confidence in human methods and measures. Proneness to wander. I, I use this, this phrase purposely because it comes from a, a, a hymn. It comes from a hymn of a man named Robert Robinson who many, many, many years ago was a lost young man who came to the Lord Jesus in England. He came at a very young age. First he was saved in the Methodist church and he became a Methodist preacher. But then later on he changed to become a Baptist preacher. But within the course of his life, at the age of 22, he had written this hymn called, Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings. I think you all are familiar. We sing it from time to time. Come thou fount of many blessings. And one of the, one of the verses of that hymn has, has these words, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Well, Robert Robinson's life became that testimony. He had written such a beautiful hymn, but then he left the Lord. He left his first love. He wandered in the things of the world for many, many years. For many years until one day he was taking a stagecoach ride and in the carriage there was a young lady with a hymn book on her lap and, and, and she was humming a hymn and probably mouthing the words of this hymn. And she asked Robert Robinson, not knowing who he was, she asked him what he thought of that hymn and the words. And his reply to her was this. He said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And every one of us in this room is prone to wander even knowing what we know, even having what we have, even being blessed with what we've been blessed with in this life by God. But every day God is saying, listen, I just want you to quit putting your confidence in yourself and I want you to put your trust in me. I want you to trust me. Paul talks about it in his own life in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. If anybody had confidence in the flesh, I did, is what he's saying. He said, uh, uh, circumcised, he says, the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I mean, he had total confidence in his own flesh. His whole religious life was about what he did, how he did it, what he did. But then he said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. What things were gained to me by my confidence in myself... And in my flesh, I counted but a loss for Christ. 
And he said, those things themselves are but dung, refuse, that I might know Jesus, know Him, have Him. And know the excellency of His Lordship in my life. Consider a couple of things with Jacob's methods. Consider a couple of things with Jacob's methods. First, if he had really trusted in the Lord... He would have been at the head of the procession, not at the rear. Right? He kept sending everything ahead. Sending this, sending this, sending this. Tell him, I'm on my way, I'm on my way. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. But he's in the back. As if he's hiding, as if he's scared, as if he's afraid, fearful. Secondly, Jacob had no problem surround, uh, surrendering, I should say, all of his, all these goats and all these sheep and all these camels and all these all this cattle and all, all, all these, these donkeys. He had no problem surrendering those, but he had a problem surrendering was himself. He wasn't surrendering himself. He still trusted in his ability to do things apart from God. I will appease with my gift, with what I do, with what I have. But now the Lord was going to get his attention. Don't raise your hands, but does God oftentimes get your attention? And when he does, doesn't he do it when no one else is around? Jacob arose that night, verse 22 of our text. He arose that night, he took his two wives. His two female servants, his eleven sons, and he crossed over the ford of Yabok. And he took them, and he sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Now, I have to say that we still begin to see signs of faith again in Jacob. We are seeing some signs again in Jacob. He, he, he moved his entire camp across the Yabok, which was a tributary of the Jordan River. By the way, it's interesting that the name Yabok means evacuation it means dissipation but for our understanding just simply means emptying out it means an emptying out and the word yabok is very 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 close to the Hebrew word for wrestling just keep that in mind So Jacob was doing this stuff, moving his family over to the other side, the western side of the Jordan, through going this, through this, this uh, tributary called Yabuk. And he did it under the cover of night, even though extra care would have to be taken in crossing a stream like that in the darkness of, of evening. So obviously the, the peril of Esau was greater than the peril of night. But then Jacob left himself no retreat. He puts his family over on the other side and then he spends the night alone. And, and to some extent, we get the picture that he, he went back over to the eastern side where he would meet with Esau. Or in some, in, in some place that, that, you know, he's by himself but between his family and Esau. But he's alone. He was moving his family west, which was a good thing because he was staying obedient to the Lord. And he would spend that last night on the east side of the Jordan and probably spent that night in prayer. Now, doesn't the Lord have to get us alone from time to time before he deals with us? Doesn't the Lord have to get us alone from time to time? Yeah, because you see, when we're alone with God, we can't fake him out. You know, when we're with other people in church or we're in a Bible study or we're, we're in a prayer meeting, no matter how many people are in there, or no, wherever we are, you know, we 
should be honest. We should be upfront, but a lot of times we can also not be. But with God, we can't fake Him out. We are completely wide open to Him. And it is in times of aloneness that Jacob has experienced some great things from God. For example, at Bethel, Jacob became a believing man. At Yabok, he became a broken man. At Bethel, he became a son of God. At Yabok, he became a saint of God. He left Bethel with a spring in his step. He would leave Yabok with a lasting limp in his walk. At Bethel, Jacob died to sin. At Yabok, he died to self. And those are all experiences that we all need to go through. Not only to believe, but to be broken for God's purposes. Not only to be a son of God, but to be a saint of God, set apart for the work of God. Not only to be free from sin, but to be free from self, so that we can give all to the glory of God. So notice, Jacob was, lo- was left alone. But when we're alone, are we ever alone? When we're alone, are we ever alone? When we're alone, are we ever alone? Why? Because Jesus said, I will be with you always. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. You're never alone. Was Jacob alone? No, because it says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Where did he come from? And who was it? And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. By, by the way, the one who does not prevail, the one that it talks about there is really the man. When he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joy as he wrestled with him. He wasn't alone. And whenever we're alone, we're not alone. Why? Because God said, I'll be with you. So who's he wrestling with? Anybody get a hint from that? Who's he wrestling with? He's wrestling with the Lord. Sometimes, and I mentioned this last week, that sometimes our greatest opponent is the Lord himself. Sometimes our greatest adversary when we're dealing with certain things that have not been surrendered is the Lord who wants to not just be an adversary. He wants to go from being an adversary to being our advocate. We have to wrestle with him. Now, there's a significant passage. I'm going to do this very quickly, but there's a significant passage given to us in the prophecy of Hosea when the Lord is indicting Judah's unfaithfulness toward him. Now, Judah... <clears throat> the tribe of Judah comes out of Jacob. It's one of the sons of Jacob. But this is hundreds and hundreds of years much later, and, and these are the descendants of Jacob, and, and, and they're unfaithful now to God. They're, they're, they're just uh, rebellious and they're, and they're disobedient. And so here's the prophecy, Hosea 12, verse 2. And notice how it brings Jacob into this. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. The deeds of those who have come out of Jacob, who was what? Jacob was supplanter, conniver, deceiver, thief. They had become like Yaakov and no longer like Israel. So he took his brother by the heel in in the womb. There he is, a wrestler. 
He took his brother by the heel in the womb and in his strength, he struggled with God. Notice, in his strength, in his strength, he struggled with God. Does that remind us of anyone other than Jacob? Yes, he struggled with an angel and prevailed. Ah, wow, this is interesting. He struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and he sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel and there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. God spoke to us when God spoke to Jacob. The Lord is his memorable name. Keep this in mind for the last part of our text. So you, by the help of your God, return. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your God continually. Get back to God. Return to God. Do what is right. Observe mercy. Observe justice. And wait on your God continually. Now why is this important here? Because to a certain degree, this passage reminds us that Jacob himself had been this wrestler all of his life. He wrestled with Esau. He wrestled with Isaac. He wrestled with Laban. Not to mention wrestling from time to time with his wives, I'm sure. But it is also significant that Jacob didn't wrestle with the man. The man wrestled with him, the text says. The man wrestled with him. You see, it wasn't that Jacob was wanting something from God. God wanted something from Jacob. God wanted something from Jacob. The Lord wanted Jacob's reliance in self. He wanted Jacob's scheming. He wanted Jacob's self-sufficiency. And it seems that the Lord came to take it from Jacob by force. That's how great sometimes the struggle in us is. God is wrestling with us. So the identity now of the man is clear. We call it in theology a Christophany, a special appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before His incarnation and birth in Bethlehem. God in human form. We've had a Christophany in the book of Genesis before. Jesus has come to visit a a couple of times in the book of Genesis. Once with Abraham, when Abraham met Melchizedek, and another time before... Judgment comes upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So if this is Jesus, how in the world could Jacob fight all night? And it appears that they were evenly matched. They wrestled all night. Well, folks, just let, let me just tell you that Jesus could have ended this wrestling match at any time. Would you agree? He could have ended this match at any time, but he let it go on because he was waiting for Jacob to come to the end of himself. He was waiting for Jacob to come to the end of himself. As he waits for us to come to the end of ourselves, when we're just holding on to so much of ourselves and our self-reliance and our trust in ourselves and our way of thinking being better than anybody else's thinking and so on and so forth. But it is at this time, like many of us, that Jacob refused to give in. And the Lord touched the socket of his hip and he crippled him. He crippled him. At this point, Jacob realizes that he can't run anymore. He can't go on scheming anymore. He can't lie and and try to solve things on his own. This is not the way God wants him. He says, I thought you were going to trust me. James Montgomery Boyce makes this comment. He says, how how did Jacob ever manage to keep up his struggle throughout the entire night? He says, I don't know, but I do know that his determination to hang in there was no greater than our frequent determination to have our own way and eventually went out over God. Boy, how true that is. How true that is. Now here's the thing, folks. You can't fight against God and win. Let's let that sink in first. You can't fight against God and win. Let it sink in. You can't fight against God and win. And if you think about it, if you could win, if you could win, you would really be losing. 
You'd really lose because, you see, God has what is best for our lives. God has what is best for our lives, and just as He does with Jacob here at Yabok. Jacob wasn't going to win. Yet the language is very interesting. Notice, if we will, let's look at the last part of this passage. It says, and he said, let me go. For the day breaks. Now, who's saying that? That's Jesus. That's the man that's wrestling with with Jacob. He says, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. But wait a minute, who's winning here? I'm all confused. I thought Jacob was prevailed over, but it says that Jacob is prevailing. It is at this point that Jacob realizes he's not prevailing. But in certain cultures, and even in our own day and time, if we were to look back at World War II and see what we did after what happened in Japan and so on and so forth, uh, after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nakazawa, lost the word there, but it's because I can't say it. But after the bombing, we put in millions and millions of dollars to build that up again. In essence, we bless them. In some cultures and countries, if you, if you lose a war, the country who won repairs what was damaged. Jacob's saying, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me because I can't win. I can't win. So he said to him, what is your name? Now God knows his name, but he wants him to say it. What is your name? And he says, Yaakov. Yaakov. Conniver. Supplanter, deceiver, thief. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, but Israel. Your name shall be called Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. In God's economy, when we lose, we win. When we lose to Him... We win. When we surrender to Him, we win. When we die to ourselves, we win. And Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is that why is it that you ask me about my name? Jacob, don't you know who this is? Don't you remember who you saw at the top of that ladder? It's notice he doesn't tell him. He blessed him there. With that blessing, now he knows who it is. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. A constant reminder of God's victory in our lives. And therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank which is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the, in the muscle that shrank. And by the way, this is not a command for the Jewish people to do. This is just a tradition they, they have continued on because they're, they're just remembering what... God did with Jacob. But it's not a command, you know, so it's just part of the tradition. As a matter of fact, even to this day in the Passover celebration, there's a little lamb shank bone that's part of the celebration. You don't do anything with it. It's just you have it there to remember Jacob by. So with that in mind, let me say what Warren Worsby stated in, a, in his commentary. He said, it was at Bethel that God promised to bless Jacob. And from a material point of view, that promise was fulfilled in that Jacob had become a wealthy man. But... But there is so much more to the blessings of God than flocks, herds, and servants. There is also the matter 
of godly character and spiritual influence. There is the matter of godly character and spiritual influence. Now we have been seeing the character of Jacob getting better and better, more in the image of God and Christ, and his spiritual influence becoming greater. But just like all of us, we go through those times of struggle. Sometimes the time is a lot longer than we expect it to be, or a lot shorter sometimes. It just depends on what God is wanting to do in our lives. But He intends to bless His people whom He has called. And as Jacob received blessings, let's look at these four blessings that we see that Jacob received here very quickly. First the one is, is, we, we just call it Prince. Why? Because in the name Israel is the statement, Prince with God. That is one translation of the word Israel, Prince with God. But what we also need to remember is that this was the name given to Jacob in exchange for Yaakov. But the name Israel also means governed by God. When we surrender our lives to the Lord, we are no longer governed by ourselves or by our desires or by our ways of doing things, we are now to be governed by God and by His Word and by His ways and by His purposes. So the name is so important. Secondly, he, uh, He's given power. This is a blessing of God to, to Jacob. He's given power. We're told you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Did He really prevail? God prevailed on Him, but in Him winning Uh, God winning over Jacob, Jacob won. He prevailed. And he gave him power. This is speaking of spiritual power. The, The great need of the church today is spiritual power. The great need of the church today is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that gives us witness and testimony of Christ in our lives so we can go to every corner of this earth and tell people about Jesus. It is the power that is given to us to help us overcome evil and to live faithfully for God as well. The church needs that power today. The third gift that, he, that Jacob is given is, is perception. Perception. Jacob said, I have seen God face to face. Jacob was given a divine revelation in the visual, visual manifestation of God. You know that the Bible says that we cannot with these eyes see God. But he allowed him to see God in the, in, the, in, the, in the form of that person who wrestled with him. Just as a, a, uh, Abraham was able to see, you know, Melchizedek. And just as Jesus who came to this earth in flesh, yet without sin, he was able to be seen by all. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he was the direct representation of the glory of his Father. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in His glory. But enough to see Him without being consumed. But you see, we have that divine revelation today in the Word of God. You want to see Jesus for who He is? Read the Gospels. Read the Word of God. You want to know the God of creation, the God who has created all things. Read from Genesis to Revelation and don't stop. Lastly, he was given preservation as a blessing. Preservation. Jacob said, my life is preserved. My life is preserved. Even though he saw God face to face, he was preserved. So it is with the redeemed of the Lord. We can stand before God today. We can stand before God without judgment. Because we stand today because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because of the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Because Jesus rose from the dead. We can stand before God preserved and safe and protected. And there is no greater blessing that can come to man. So like the memorial for the manifestation of God's host, Jacob commemorated this blessing by naming the place where it occurred, Peniel, the face of God. Thus, 
He had not only seen the face of God, but he wrestled with God and he won by losing, by surrendering his life to God. The limp was a reminder to him of how he had to be broken before he would surrender. He could no longer run away from his problems, but now he had to rest in the Lord as he was now governed by God. Now we're going to see that Jacob still struggled a little bit with his surrender and resting in the Lord in the next chapter, but for sure... He will not walk the same way again. He will not walk the same way again and neither will we. Neither will we. If we understand what had happened to Jacob has happened to us. We have wrestled with God and with men. and We have prevailed because we lost. And because we lost, we won. And we are able to say with the Apostle Paul what our lives are going to be from now on. As we rest in the Lord, we can say this. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved. Speaking to every believer here in this place today. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You don't walk the same again. You walk now like Jesus, who was, by the way, broken for us. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, I I love this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do. Now, do do you all do anything? I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. But do you all do anything? Yeah, of course, we do something all the time. Whatever you do then, in word or in action or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Is that not the changed life of one who has wrestled with God and now is resting in God? Is this not where we're to be today as believers in Jesus? Let's meditate upon those things this week as we prepare to leave here today. Father, we thank you so much.